Hey everyone, it's Caleb. I'm so excited that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. And today I'm kind of starting uh, something that's going to be a little bit different for uh, the year 2021, kind of doing a series. And if you've been listening to the Learner's Corner for a while, you know, one of the things that um, that I've loved learning about and really has, uh, you know, I guess, become pretty popular over the last, you know, almost decade um, is the Enneagram. And so what I want to do uh, throughout several episodes throughout the year of 2021 is I kind of want to do kind of like a deep dive on each Enneagram type. And if you're not familiar with that, um, we have some episodes and I'll link to those in the show notes and you can go and check out some of those and become maybe a little bit more familiar with it. But it's uh, it's kind of like a, a, a personality as a personality uh, I don't even want to say test, but uh, a personality framework that helps lead to uh, greater growth. I would say both per- it can help literally in all areas of life. And so here's what I want to do. I want to look at um, or take a look at each of the different types of personalities um, and whether or not you are that personality type or you feel like you you fit uh, that description. You probably have somebody who in your life is that type. And so I believe it can help us in multiple ways. It can help us um, better understand ourselves and it can help us better understand other people, which ultimately will help us love other people. And uh, in the professional context, it'll help us lead other people better as well. And so we're going to be doing uh, an episode on each type coming up here throughout um, throughout the year of 2021. Um, and today I wanted to start with, and this is really the thing that got me thinking about it, is uh, I wanted to start with the type that I am, being the Enneagram 3. I saw uh, this book that was coming out. is called, it's actually really a devotional called 40 Days on Being a 3. And it's written on Sean, or written by Sean Palmer, who um, I'll introduce here uh, in a second and tell you a little bit more about him. And, you know, after having our conversation, I realized, man, I... I, I want to learn about the other different types and figure out how um, I can love them better because I think I have uh, someone in my life who's important to me of pretty much every single type on the Enneagram. And so I'm really excited to bring this conversation to you today. And uh, if you don't have a type three in your life or you are not a type three, be on the lookout for some of our future episodes. And we're going to get deep into the weeds about what makes what makes each type tick uh, and and can just really help you along the way. And so today I am joined by Sean Palmer, who is also a fellow Enneagram Type 3. And Sean is the teaching pastor at at Ecclesia uh, Houston, a speaker and an executive coach. He is the author of the book, Unarmed Empire, and a contributing writer to The Voice Bible. Sean is vice chair of the Missio Alliance Board, and he and his wife, Rochelle, live in Houston, Texas with their two daughters. And I am so excited to bring you this conversation. But before that, I do want to give you, I do got a a couple of shout outs I want to give. I want to say thanks to Sam Massey for providing the music for this episode. Thanks to Garrett Oler for editing this episode as well. And uh, if this happens to be your first time listening to the podcast, I want to tell you a little bit about the Learner's Corner. You know, really here we want to create a safe place to have dangerous conversations because you may have run into somebody 
who has, um, you maybe have encountered somebody in your life and you go, uh, I'm not sure if I bring this thing up, um, I might get judged, I might get um, disowned, I might get yelled at, I might get uh, anger thrown in my face. And here in the Learner's Corner, we really want to have uh, a we really want to have a place where we can have an incredible dialogue about literally any subject, because I believe here and really, um, really what the podcast was kind of founded on is that there's something that we can learn from everyone. We can learn something from everyone and we can learn uh, from anyone, from everyone, from anything and from everything. And that's kind of the, that's one of the reasons why we're talking about the learner's corner or not the learner's corner. That's one of the reasons why we're talking about the Enneagram today, because uh, the Enneagram has been something that has helped me by learning more about myself and learning about others. Um, and it's probably one of the things that has done that the most in my life. And so without any further wait, here is my conversation with Sean Palmer. Sean, I'm so excited for you to be on the Learner's Corner podcast today and just talk about the brand new uh, devotional that you've released called 40 Days of Being a Three. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Look forward to the conversation. Yeah. And and just as we get started, uh, anytime that um, that somebody releases like a work of art or a book or a movie or, or anything like that, I love hearing um, the story or the series of events that led someone to just uh, to decide, hey, I need to put this out into the world. And so just as we're getting started, would you mind just kind of sharing how, maybe how you first got introduced to the Enneagram, how you discovered your type and what made you want to write this book? Yeah, I, I'd be glad to. I tell people that I had the best introduction to the Enneagram that is uh, imaginable. I'm sure there are some other people who had maybe slightly better stories, but um, I was invited by a friend of mine to a, a retreat, a gathering, we were talking about contemplative spirituality. And I guess maybe this was seven or so years ago. And so he, he, he sent me a text message. He's a pastor in Nashville. And he said, would you like to go to a retreat for a weekend in Connecticut with Ian Cron? And so I had spent some time with Ian. We had both been on um, the program at an event in Malibu, like that previous May. And we'd gone out to dinner and hung out a little bit. And so I was like, sure, um, I, would, I would love to do that. So we got there and it was just um, people who have come to mean so much to me in those seven years. But I, I uh, Aaron Nequist was there, um, Anthony Skinner, who's a really great musician, um, David Gunger, his dad, Ed. Um, and as we're meeting each other, um, that first night we're there, I sit down next to this woman and she introduces herself to me and she says, hi, my name is Suzanne Stabile. And we had not met and we found out really quickly we had a lot of uh, common friends. And that night was just fine. And the next day, the only thing on the agenda for the entire day with this really remarkable group of folks, people like Michael Redzina, who's at Good Shepherd Church in, in New York, it just said Enneagram work. And Ian got up that morning and it was like 14 degrees outside and snow was like piled high. And for a kid from who was living in Texas, right? Like we were like just freezing. Um, 
and introduce Suzanne. And Suzanne basically spent the rest of that day doing know your number, the her know your number um, teaching. And she started with eights. And when she got around to threes, um, I said, oh my gosh, like that's like, that is me. And there were a lot of threes in that room, in that room actually. Um, and so that's how I got to, uh, that's how I got to know the Enneagram. We spent the next few days together uh, doing some other stuff around contemplative spirituality. And I took something very seriously that she said, that she said when she was first introduced to the Enneagram, that she had pledged to not speak about it publicly for five years. Um, and that's really hard for a three because we want to speak about everything as soon as we possibly can. But I, I said, you know what? I've got a lot of other things going on. Um, I don't know what I think and feel about this. I need to get some time, think about it, and, and, and see if there's anything there or anything more there. Um, I didn't really know at that point that when you just kind of know what your number is, that you're barely scratching the surface in terms of what the Enneagram can offer. And so I bought Richard Rohr's book. Amazon delivered it probably before I got home. And it just sat on a bookshelf like most of the books that I buy do for a couple of years until I get around to it. And my oldest daughter, who is now 16, so, um, I mean, she was, I mean, pretty young. She's always been a voracious reader and pretty precocious. She picked it up and started reading it after it had sat on my desk for two years. So maybe she's 10, 11. And uh, she reads through the whole thing. Roar's book, which is pretty substantial. And he comes back and says, oh, I, I think I'm a one. And I was like, oh, really? What do you think about it? And my friends have kind of been talking about the Enneagram every now and then, sort of that, that dinner party conversation around the Enneagram that a lot of people do, where it's kind of like a parlor trick, but people don't really know very much and you can't say anything besides kind of like top level stuff. And so I started looking at it um, a little bit more closely then because she was so interested. And then we did a series of teachings on tape um, at our, our church. I started reading more and uh, had a, a kind of like a, a mid-level interest and in knowledge of the Enneagram and the Enneagram world until a couple of years ago. And I'd been to multiple, multiple seminars, read a couple of books. Um, my friends and I would talk about it a lot. And a couple of years ago, I, I'm a teaching pastor. So um, I was at our downtown campus and I did my sermon and a, woman comes up to me who I really like. She's a great um, member of our community and she's an eight on the Enneagram. And she says to me, that was the most Enneagram three sermon I have ever heard. And I thought, huh, it was because at the beginning of that sermon, I'm talking about um, goals and why things like you know, because I really do have this belief, like your life is the way it is, because that's the way you want it to be. And if it weren't, you would change it, right? Um, which is very three, what is true, but it's instinctive to threes. And I looked at it and I thought, I wonder how often that's happening, that people are communicating something that they think is pretty universal, but it's really more rooted in their personality and their typology. And I started kicking around. I did, uh, I studied under Suzanne at Life in the Trinity in Dallas. And the more I thought about it, because I'm, you know, I, I'm a preacher and I coach and train speakers and preachers, both inside the church world and outside the church world. And that really intrigued me. So I thought I'm going to take my stab at writing a book for speakers 
about speaking wisdom, Enneagram wisdom for public speaking. And so I did all things you have to do for that, sent it off to my agent, we worked on it, sent it off to publishers, and IVP really liked it. Um, I had talked with Cindy Bunch, who was my manager, I'm not my manager, my editor, um, at IVP, like maybe a year before, just sort of pitching her on the idea, and she's just brilliant and smart. Um, and they wrote back and they said, you know what, we're going to do a series of daily readers for each Enneagram number. And at that point, no one had been signed. Like uh, Suzanne wasn't on the project yet. The other um, nine authors, I was the very first one. And they came back and said, would Sean be interested as well as doing this other book, doing this daily reader, but we need the daily reader first. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I, um, they asked me to do kind of a mock-up of what one of those would look like, which is, which ended up being the very first entry day one in, in that book. Um, and that's how that project came, but it took a lot of, I mean, it took a lot of introspection. One, like I think at this point between doing the two books, um, which the second one doesn't come out until 2021 sometime, like now I've become like a really devoted student of the Enneagram. I think I've written, I've read somewhere between, you know, I'm sure like people like uh, Hunter Mobley and other people that I look to, Drew Mosier, they've read like me 200 books on the Enneagram. Um, I've read maybe 30 or 40, um, but I had to learn the Enneagram side of things really well. But the book is really more about, 40 Days is really more about what it's like on the interior world. And I think that's what all of the authors are gonna do in this series. Um, what is it like to, what does it feel like, look like? What are the challenges? What are the blessings and beauties as well? What did you learn through, through that journey of writing this book about yourself that you didn't know beforehand? Oh, wow, that is a, that's a great question. And I think in the, the big takeaway for me has been that I am much more infatuated with control than I thought I was. Hmm. Um, I had a self-conception that I was kind of easygoing and you can do what you want to do and I'll do what I want to do. And we can be easy about those sorts of things. But I like when I started looking at the moments that were most transforming for me and the thing, places where I struggled the most, it really was about control and that I was much, much more into um, image than I thought I was and much more driven by shame than I thought I was. And th those were really hard. I mean, I've told people this before, 40 days is kind of like sitting with a sitting in therapy with a three for 40 days. Like this is, this is what it would probably sound like. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you had this experience, but this is just something that I've uh, been realizing in my own work is, you know, for threes, our need to have affirmation from mm -hmm. people of realizing how much uh, me wanting specific people's affirmation has been influencing what I've been doing. Right. Right. To be, um, so I think part of, uh, you know, just to get really, so it's always hard to say this and make it sound as significant as it needs to sound, but not um, 
more significant than it actually is. But in most threes, there is a deep abiding and significant desire to please a parent. And that gets spread over other people who are reminiscent of that parent. And it also gets spread over people for threes, over people who are, who are withholding of, like, if you want to challenge a three, get them in a room with someone who doesn't compliment a lot of people, who has really high standards, um, who isn't close to a bunch of people, and a three will want to win that person the most. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm resonating with everything that you're saying right now. What What is, uh, and, I, and I know that it's, uh, you know, a journey and everything, and I don't know if it'll ever be something that we'll be able to completely absolve, but what has helped you on that path to experiencing more freedom from that? Um, well, one is sort of naming it, right? Like, I know that in a given room, in a given circumstance, whoever is the most, uh, with the most emotionally withholding person, like that's who I'm going to want to win. And so when I know that going into a meeting, into um, any sort of interaction with people, like I know that that's true. And I I don't know. And I know that I don't have to do that. So um, my friend Asher just gave me a great word. One time we were sitting, having lunch. And he said the word that he would want to share with most threes, and, and he's a, he identifies as a six on the Enneagram, is that he would say unnecessary. And just like that kind of rattles around in my head, like so much of what we do as threes on the Enneagram is just unnecessary. Like the people who love us are going to love us anyway. The people who don't love us aren't going to love us anyway. That we are like, it's, um, it's very Ecclesiastes, right? It's like chasing after vapor. Like there, there's just, there's nothing there and there's nothing to be won there. And so asking really, being really honest about diagnostic questions about my intentions and hearts, like what am I trying to get out of this? Um, why does that matter? Is this something that's gonna change anything? So one of the wake up calls that I had was when I joined the staff of the church where I am now, um, because we are multi-site and we do team preaching, that there were, there were times where I might go two weeks without preaching. And so this is my fastball. This is my trump card. Like, this is the thing that I do best in the world. And I like to think that I'm pretty good at it. And that has been, that's been affirmed. And I would be at our Sunday night gathering one week when I hadn't preached and I would have this sense of I have no purpose in being here. Mm. Like, why am I even here? And then the ludicrous thoughts that come along with that is like, Oh, like I might like, this is, this is truly a thought that's crossed my mind, Caleb. I want you to like, hear this. I would go two weeks without preaching and have thoughts of I'm going to get fired this week because they're going to realize that they don't need me. Right. And like, that is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and I would know it was absolutely ridiculous in the moment when I was saying it. Um, but still like that idea that threes carry that my, my worth is found in production and that my great fear is being worthless. 
that I have to be doing something, generating something, producing something in order to be valuable. Like no one thinks that but us. Like no one in our sphere thinks that but us. And we partly think of that way because we think that way about other people. And that's really the more difficult part is like we look at other people and think, you hadn't done anything in two weeks. Why are you here? Right. Um, and that's equally as toxic of a thought, but it's an honest thought. What, what helps you fight against that mentality for yourself and even in, with interacting with others about that? Like you're like the, the thought or the belief that people's worth is only in what they do or th- what they produce. What helps you fight against that? Well, reality, right? So I have, um, <laughs> there are people that I love being around. I want around. Um, I have two daughters, 16 and 13. I, I wish that they would do a better job of cleaning their rooms and the kitchen when it's their turn. But like my love for them does not ride upon their production. Uh, and they're not the only ones. It's not just limited to my children. There are many people that I have a great deal of respect and care and love for who I just want for their presence and for their reality. And if that's true of me, who wants people to be productive, then that's going to be even more true of folks who, who aren't driven in, in such a way. So threes really need to do what threes really need to commit to is a ruthless commitment to the truth and truth telling like I'm going to tell the truth about me and about the world and um, we are so formed by shading and deceit that the only way to combat that is to say like I'm going to tell the truth all the time um in insofar as that I know what it is and can communicate it. Like everybody lies to themselves on some level, but say like, no, like that's not true. Um, And I'm going to embrace the truth in all things. Mm -hmm. Or at least that's what's helped me say, like, I'm just going to be truthful about this. What does that look like for you? It depends on what area, right? So the, the beautiful thing about, Enneagram threes, and people talk a lot about deceits with threes, um, but they don't talk about truth as much because the reality is once a three sees something to be true, they can't ever not see it to be true, right? And that's part of the, that's part of our love for efficiency, right? Like when you, like when a three does a bad job on something or not as good as they had hoped or didn't get the response that they had hoped, Like we will tell ourselves all sorts of reasons why it was good. We will reframe that pretty quickly. Um, And we'll, we, I mean, it was a three that came up with like, there's no such thing as failure. You just like learned, you know, (laughs) to do it. Those those kinds of things, like threes invented all of it. Like every motivational poster in the world was, was invented by a a three, seven or eight by an aggressive number. Right. Um, but like when a three sees something that, that actually failed and says that failed, we're never able to believe again that that actually didn't fail. Um, that's what makes us productive. Like we actually do, um, see failure. And once we see it, we commit to it. So I have this little monologue. So one of our, before COVID, for instance, this is one of the ways that it looks. 
um, we have a Saturday night service. And so when you're, when I'm preaching at our downtown campus, preach Saturday night, and then we have the other three services on, on Sunday. And if something doesn't work on Saturday night, I have this 30 minute drive home uh, because it's Houston, it's a big city. <laughs> um, and I will, I will know what didn't work and I will workshop in my head why it didn't work and what to do better next time. Now, I can't do that if I really think that it did work, right? Like, like that joke just didn't work, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that, this didn't make sense. I didn't make the connection between here and there. And, and I, will, I will work to fix it. Or, um, you know, you, uh, one of the ways, like I will spend tons of time like getting dressed when I have to go out because I want to look appropriate for, and this is a three thing too, right? Um, so, and I talk about this in the book. Like, so one of the practices for me around honesty is like, you look the way you look, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the clothes, like some things are more flattering on you than other things. Yes. But it's not like a degree from four to 10. It's more like, you know, six to seven kind of a degree. Yeah. So like you give her, like I give her, you got 20 minutes to get dressed, you know? Um, cause you're, that's commitment to your own. That's a ruthless commitment to the truth around your own image. Um, and a lot of it, Caleb, is just letting things be as they are. Mm-hmm. So, um, like we were, we were talking before we started recording about, uh, Sabbath days. And so I exercise every day of the week, except Friday. And it's hard to, some people have trouble exercising like, uh, but for me, it's hard not to, because I feel like I'm losing something. I'm losing ground. I'm losing track. Um, and I mentioned this in the book too, like Sabbath is not just, um, rest from working, but rest from working on yourself. And so I want to take that like a day, like today, Friday, when I, when I practice Sabbath, like that, I do not do that today because I need to know from God and from others that my production isn't necessary for the world to function or to, or for me to be loved. Yeah. What, what do you think through, through your own personal uh, discovery and through all of your readings and learnings and all of that stuff, what do you think uh, most threes don't know that is like the deeper level of work that you would say, Hey, if you're a three and you want to go deep, here's the things that you need to know. Oh man, that's, um, that is so good. And it's different for each person. Um, but if I could communicate anything to like, I would say this, your feelings actually matter. They matter to you and they matter to people who love you. And that's okay. Like it is news to me in my forties now that I can make a decision and do it because of how I feel about it. Um, and that's not to say like, we have a saying around our house with our daughters, like feelings aren't facts. Mm-hmm. We don't want to just, you know, I felt like robbing a convenience store today or something like that. Or I felt like telling off a teacher or I felt like cutting, like, um, not, not in that sort of sense, but like, um, the way you feel 
in your interior world actually does carry significance. And so it's not something to be pushed aside and for you to lie to yourself and tell you you're going to revisit later, that it's actually okay to feel that way and for it to matter. And there are some circumstances where it's okay to act because you feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say no to things. You can say yes to things because of the way you feel. Yeah. What, what helps you better feel your feelings? Because for, for me, that's like, it's tough. It's tough. Like it's like, for instance, for me, it's like really hard for me to cry about something. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you experienced that or have experienced about that, but what, what helps you better feel your feelings? Right. So um, there's an entry in the book about this of how, like, I didn't cry between the ages of like 12 and 20. something mm-hmm. like that. Um, And most threes don't cry. Um, and I, you know, I was telling a friend of mine that when the, even now, when I start to cry, there's something inside of me that is involuntary that shuts that off. Yeah. Like just shuts it off. Like we're not doing that. Yeah. Um, and so the, what I've tried to do, and this has just been in maybe in the last few years is to uh, just to sit in that feeling, like to not try to move past it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I don't think that other numbers, um, because Enneagram threes are feeling repressed. So we're feeling dominant and feeling repressed. Um, I don't think other numbers quite get that or understand. Like it's not that I'm, especially you reach adulthood and you've been, you've been immersed in this way of being for your entire life. You just don't know how mm-hmm. differently. Um, you start to feel something and it shuts off and you didn't shut it off. Like there was no conscious thought, I'm not doing that. But you have done it so long that it's almost like um, an emergency valve. It's kind of like in a, in a submarine, right? When it starts to flood, you can close certain hatches and it's, it's weather sealed. It's like there's an automatic door that seals that hatch so the whole boat doesn't flood. And you have to actually push against that door to feel again. And it's, it's a journey. Um, it's, it's helpful to have like, you know, I've, everyone needs a therapist and a spiritual director. It's helpful to have someone who makes space for you, who says like, what does that feel like? And sometimes we just have to pay a professional to sit and listen to us talk. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Uh, another thing that I want to ask you about, and we've, we've, uh, talked about it some, but I would just love your take on it is for, for threes. It's so easy for us to, um, to conform to what will work for us to get the approval of whoever that we need or the affirmation of whoever we need. Um, and in that we sacrifice ourselves for like the true person, like the true Caleb, the true Sean of that. What are some things that help you like just determine, Hey, like I I am not being true to myself. Is there anything like you pay attention to or it's like, oh man, if I know if this happens, I am not being true to who I am. Right. So I think you have to work on that. For me, I've had to work on that like mm-hmm. one, at, one at a time. 
So, and even with some relationships, so like, oh, like this relationship is all sort of me um, bending to the person or the group to make this thing work. Mm. And the older I've, the older I get, the more I recognize like, oh, I don't have to do that. Like, and if, if this isn't working for me, like I don't have to pretend that it is working for me. Um, and so I can kind of move on. Um, for me, it's been, um, and I've always stunk at journaling. And I, man, being a church kid in the late 80s and 90s when journaling was at its height, like that was just miserable. Like you weren't a spiritual person unless you could journal. And I said, well, I'm just not going to be a spiritual person because this is a waste of time, takes forever. Uh, I think way faster than I can write. And so like just the process of journaling slowed everything down. But um, the, the process for me now is that like, I really do want to write down things about how I'm feeling and just let that flow. It could be that I'm much older now. And my brain's a lot slower too. <laughs> like just not as sharp as I used to be. That could be possible, but I do like um, on my, on my Sabbath day, Sabbath keeping is a big deal um, because it allow it, it, when you don't have to produce, you don't have to do things. Um, God just kind of brings stuff up um, and you can't, and you don't have the distractions of, well, I've got to hop into this meeting or I've got to write this thing, or I've got to go in this place and I've got this appointment. God just sort of brings things up. So quiet times where you can sit and be, um, and allow God to come and allow that to happen. However it happens. So aggressive types get really distracted. Um, not just aggressive types too. One struggle with it as well when they're doing slowed down, quieter, quiet, more quiet things. Um, and to be okay, like forgive yourself for being distracted and just sort of recenter and bring yourself back. So those are practices that I find helpful, but also when I, when you get that quick pinch of, I don't like this, this doesn't feel right. There's something emotionally that's not really connected to explore that. Um, say like, oh, is that a sign that this current setup, this current situation is not functioning for me in a way that's healthy? And I want to spend some time actually naming that and dealing with it as it is. And to not try to say, oh, well, it'll be okay or I can make it work. Like when, when threes get to a point where they can name, it's not my responsibility to make this work that's a beautiful place because you can be more honest then um, like this relationship, this job, um, this way of like, it's not my responsibility to make this work. Right. Um, so I don't have, this does not have to be a win lose thing for me because this is not my responsibility. Hmm. That's good and powerful. Um, I'm already thinking through a couple of situations in my life to where it's just like, Oh yeah, I definitely, I definitely need to remember that. Uh, what What are some of the things, or what have you gained through that through that solitude and that silence and that time alone that you were talking about? Well, you know, for threes, the issue has always been that you spent your lifetime giving yourself away, um, giving away your feelings, your wants, your desires, like that childhood message that it's not okay um, to have your own feelings. Uh, so you have been giving yourself away for your entire life. And that is really a beautiful thing in some circumstances, 
But for me, this season of my life is about finding myself um, and find out what do I really like? What do I really care about? What do I want to do? Who do I want to be around? Who do I want to be? Um, like, I don't want to always, I don't want to just be opportunistic and deceptive, deceptive and career addicted. I don't always want to be pragmatic. I don't want to be status conscious, but I do want to be competent and truthful and reliable. Um, I like the fact that I bring ambition and energy and vision to other people. I love goals and planning. Those things are just like warehoused in me very natively. But what gets lost over the course of a lifetime is that, like, I don't know who I am anymore, mm -hmm. if I ever did. And it takes some time away from the things that you've used as a crutch to identify who it is that you are, like, in and of yourself. Um, and not just an outward projection of what you think and want to be, but, like, who you really are and what you want your life to be, how you want it to be shaped. Mm -hmm. Is there anything, you know, we were talking before this about how we're both uh, subtype self-preservation with, you know, kind of, which means kind of our relationship with ourselves. That's where we tend to go. Is there anything that you've learned specifically about being the subtype self-preservation three that has helped you? <laughs> because like, that's, that's the thing that I always like, like, struggled with whenever I first found out that I was a three is we don't typically look like, like the prototypical three. Right. Right. Um, and it's always, it's really complicated in, in some senses, right? Because you're not only dealing with your subtype, um, but, but your wing and, um, you've got your, obviously your, your own life story. Yeah. Trying to think if there's anything that in terms of being a self-pressed three, that's been helpful. It's been illuminating. Um, so, and this is not, this is not a good reflection on me in any, by any stretch, but this is what I deal with. Right. So, um, I will not do like, would I do just about anything? Probably not. But would I do just about anything for money? Probably so. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like this yeah. really is self-preservation three, which has so much six energy, like you do see like threats on every side and how do you care for yourself and your family and the things that you care about, like how, and so um, it's been illuminating in that when I'm asked or invited to do something, like to push back, say, you know what, like I'm only doing this because I'm a self-pres person. So what then do I think is under threat? What don't I think mm -hmm. is going to happen? If, if I don't do this, um, you know, I had a really good coach ask me several years ago when I was particularly busy in a season. Um, and, you know, he asked me, like, what do you think is going to happen if you say no to all of these, to some of these people? And I had this flash of thought. This is, oh, if I say no to all these people, if I say no to some of these people, even they'll quit asking. Um, and the fear there is like, they'll quit asking, I won't be valuable, I'll fade away, I'll be forgotten, and I won't be loved, right? So the, so all of that self-pressed stuff. Um, so you just kind of keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And also at self-pressed like level, like we are not as relational as um, a one-to-one -one three. Um, so 
um, or social three. So like we will, we will sacrifice relationships for, for care of self and like those closest to us. So um, those are all cautions. I think when you're self-pressed through, it's like, Oh, like I'm doing the, do I, am I legitimately under threat or is this a compulsive reaction to the world that I have cultivated because, you know, I, for one reason or another, have interpreted my life as always being alone, always having to take care of myself, always having to rely on myself. So I can't count on anyone else to be there. Mm-hmm. And self-press threes deal with a lot of resentment as well. Yeah. I I don't know if uh, if this is your experience, but I know from my experience, one of the things that I've had to struggle with is not waiting for permission from other people. Because especially be like, for me, like I was, I always waited for the invitation, like, cause right. I wanted people to recognize the greatness in me instead of putting myself out there. Did you struggle with that at all? So that's an interesting question. So are you, a, are, what do you know your uh, wing? Are you a, are you a four? four. Yeah. Okay. So we're the same place. Yeah. And so threes with four wings really have a difficult time with the um, have a more difficult time, I would say, not a difficult time, a more difficult time than other types of threes with some of the uh, self-promotion stuff. And we want to mm-hmm. be invited in. And it's really a tricky place. I mean, a lot of people have told me that three with a four wing, they think is one of the harder places to be on the Enneagram because your dominant type is wanting to go out there and get noticed and have attention um, for almost any reason. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, but your wing, and it depends on how big your wing is, um, is like I want to be noticed and recognized for this really niche and unique thing about mm-hmm. me. And so, like, uh, on one hand, I want to let everybody know that I'm worthwhile f- for doing X or Y. But at, there's this tension inside me that thinks, but if I'm really great at it, everyone would just notice. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was going to say, is there anything that's helped you with that? Anything that's helped? Um, I, you know, I try to see it as a... Um, I try to see it as a balance, right? Mm-hmm. Um that my, my four wing let kind of, kind of pulls in my three wing when it wants to get too crazy. But then my dominant center is telling my four wing like, Hey dude, like no one's going to know if you don't tell them, like everybody's got their own lives and they're out doing their own thing. And so I try to see them as a balance, but it's a really different, what makes that hard is the emotional place it puts you in because you want to be noticed. And so you're dealing with that 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 envy that comes in from a four wing Mm -hmm. because it seems to you that other people are getting noticed and taken note of without them having to put themselves out there the way that you've had to do it so they must be more special than you um because they're getting noticed without all of this work and you're and you're not and it none of that's true right Mm -hmm. um and even if it were true, it doesn't make one person any more um, special than the other. And you've got this four wing 
that really is in love with the complexity of life. And you've got this dominant three wing that you got the, your dominant number, your three. And it's like, life is not that hard. Man, A plus B equals C, like go out and do the thing. And you know, so it's this inner battle all of the time. And that's when I just come back to like ruthlessly pursuing truth. Like what's, mm -hmm. what's actually happening here? What's the truth about this situation? It's the only tool that I know of to help me deal emotionally with those. And like, man, like when a three with a four wing is depressed, people around you don't know how to deal with that, right? Um, so, and I tell people, I'm a three with a four wing, which is a really elegant way of saying I'm moody. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's happened to me. Um, just as we're getting ready to wrap up, there's two other things I, I want to ask you about. And the first one is just as I was um, reading through the book for it, this line really stood out to me. And I would love uh, just for you to expound on you say, uh, like your friend, Don, John doesn't care if I'm a good pastor. He's more concerned of being a path or whether or not being a pastor is good for me. Can you expound just on that? Yeah. So John, who, if you, if everyone reads the book is my therapist yeah. and, um, and I found him, you know, so Ecclesia is a, uh, is a good sized church here in Houston, um, but it's, its footprint is even bigger than its size in terms mm -hmm. of what God has allowed us to do. And so I will, I mean, I've had just experiences and, you know, you've served at a large church. I'm, I'm sure people in your circle have had this experience. You're in public, lots of places, and there are people who know you from church and you don't know them. Right. Mm -hmm. And because I write and speak and I, you know, whenever you get that threshold, whatever it is, um, it doesn't make you more important or famous or anything, but they're just a reality that more people know you than, you know. Yeah. Right? Yep. And so uh, my first conversation with him, which is over the phone, uh, my first question was like, do you know who I am? Which sounds like a really big headed question or whatever, but when you have enough, um, interactions where you're just in public and people are talking to you and saying, you know, Hey, and all this. And hey, because I've written some books and those kind of things, like, it's not, it's not as big headed as it sounds. I know it's yeah. kind of like, oh, you know who I am uh, sort of thing. And I, I don't want someone, I didn't want someone, a therapist, like that was in that community. Um, because I know there are people on our church staff who their therapists are people that I went to college with. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I don't want that. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and he didn't, and that's part of the reason why I chose him. Now I have to translate church world to him a lot. Um, he doesn't necessarily get all that, but what's great about that is like, he's not concerned about whether or not I'm good at my job, what the out, um, like I am only his patient. Mm -hmm. I am not these other things. I am, uh, and like, that is a space especially when we began that I really needed because there was no, there was no space in that room for success or failure. I did not have to worry about um, uh, anything, any projection from his, on his part. And he was like, if I were a ditch digger and I had a bad back and he was my therapist, he'd be like, 
digging ditches is not good for your back. So it's yeah. not good for you. And like, he can say that to me about like, he can say like to me, are you sure you want to keep doing this without feeling like, Hey, like, you know, cause without feeling like, Hey, this is going to be hurtful for a church community or to the kingdom or whatever it is that yeah. people might say probably wrongly might say. Um, and that's what I really like is that like we come into that space and I am just Sean. I'm one of his clients. And this is, this happens to be um, what I do for a living. Yeah. And just the last question that I have is just talk to me about the difference between Sean before finding out about the Enneagram and the Sean of today who has, you know, done the work of the Enneagram and continued to start like this inner journey and interior work that you've talked about. Well, it's interesting. I had a great career failure before I knew the Enneagram, which mm -hmm. um, people who are friends of mine who know the Enneagram as well say like you would not have been at a place to receive the Enneagram had you not had that failure previous to that. And so mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for that. Um, Sean, before, like I think, and this is the true gift of the Enneagram is I do understand myself better because yeah. the Enneagram has given me a, a language, but it's given me an understanding of other people, especially people in my family more. Like that's the beauty. And that, that's the thing about when you write a book, like 40 Days of Being a Three, it's going to be really helpful for threes. It's going to be really helpful if you've got a four wing. Uh, it's going to be helpful for fours and it's going to be helpful for twos um, mm -hmm. because uh, because of where they sit in the Enneagram. It's going to be helpful for sixes and for nines because you're going to need to know more about uh, your moves and, and stress or security, integration, disintegration, which, whichever language you choose to have about that. But it's really going to be great if you are married to or close to or work with one of those other numbers. Yeah. Right. Uh, because I didn't, my wife's a one and she had me introduce, um, um, uh, listen to Ian Cron's interview with Lee camp, who I know both of them. Um, mm -hmm. but I'd not heard Lee talk about what it's like to be a one. And he talks about the anger of being a one. And when I heard that, I understood, she wanted me to listen to it. Right. And so, Oh, I understand where that comes from now. Um, and like, that's illuminating. It's like, like my wife needs to read 40 days of being a three as much as I needed to write it or, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and I've, I've heard that from several people. I got a call from a, a, a business coach the other day and he says, I'm a nine on the Enneagram because I'm a business coach. I deal with a lot of threes and this has been the best thing that I've read to help me deal with my clients. Yeah. Like this, 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 and I was like, and he, and he's a nine, which is crazy because like he has a natural uh, adaptation to three. Um, but like that's, that's been most profound. Yeah. Well, Sean, I know that people are going to want to pick up uh, your devotional and continue to learn from you as well. Where's the best place for people to go to do those things? You know, the best thing now we're revamping the webpage. So like if you'd follow me like on Twitter, which is just at Sean Palmer, S-E-A-N-P-A-L-M-E-R. Um, that's the place where I will keep folks Twitter or Instagram, um, is the best place to know kind of what's going on. And as the website rolls out, we'll have more, more stuff there. Website should have been up, but you know, Hey, there was a, a global pandemic that yeah. sidetracked my web. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Caleb. I enjoyed it. 
It was incredible having Sean on the podcast. And I know that I took away a lot from that conversation personally of just being the Enneagram three type as well and learning um, just more, more about myself and just kind of why, why I do the things uh, that I do. And it's really enlightening for me. And the best way to make sure that you don't miss this episode or any of the other Enneagram episodes that we'll have coming up uh, all throughout the years by subscribing to this podcast on whatever podcast player you use. And while you're doing that, just go ahead and leave a rating and write a review as well. And that really, that really does help us a whole lot. Gary and Sam, thanks so much for helping make the podcast awesome. And thank you for listening to today's episode of the Learner's Corner podcast. My name is Caleb Mason. Also, the best way, I almost forgot, the best way, uh, if you would love to reach out to me, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me on Instagram. My handle is at Caleb J. Mason, or I would love to hear from you. And you can email me at CalebMason91 at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Learner's Corner podcast. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.